I'm Nikia Cheney. And I'm Cassidy Perong. And I'm Raina Shalise. And you're listening to Amplify, where we provide space to amplify the voices of students who have not been historically heard at Cabrillo. That would include Black, Chicano, Chicana, Latino, Latina, Indigenous, Asian, and any other group of students who feel marginalized on our campus. This podcast series was made possible by support from the Faculty Grants for Student Success, FGSS, and the Associated Students of Cabrillo College Grants, ASCC. If you want to join in this conversation or support our programs, please reach out. We'd love to hear your voice. Hello, welcome everybody. This is Nikia Cheney, and this is a very, very special session because we're going to be talking with members of the Indigenous Club at Cabrillo. So I'm really, really excited um, to introduce them. So let's start with Layla, if you can introduce yourself. Hello, my name is Layla. I'm a student, a music major at Cabrillo, and I'm the vice president of the Indigenous Student Club. Welcome, Layla. Thanks for having me. Awesome. And Nahara. Good morning, y'all. My name's Nahara Villalobos, a student here at Cabrillo College, also the president of the Student Indigenous Student Club, and just happy to be with Amplify because this is where you get the voices heard. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. We are amplifying voices. And then I have Rico. Yeah, so hi, my name is Rico Rosworth. I'm a student at Cabrillo, um, indigenous uh, musician, a writer. And yeah, just happy to be a part of this podcast and help make a difference in this issue. Welcome. Welcome so much. Welcome so much. We have Jesse here. Hi, everyone. I'm Jesse Malley. I'm an Indigenous student here at Cabrillo College and music major community member, and I appreciate the Amplify podcast for giving Indigenous people a voice here today and helping push back against the erasure of Indigenous people. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So um, let's go ahead and let's start. Uh, Can you tell us about the Indigenous Student Club at Cabrillo? I'm going to Go ahead. Let's start with Nahara. Do you think you can tell us a little bit about the Indigenous Club at Cabrillo? I will be honored. Thank you, Nikia. Um, so the purpose of the, the Indigenous Student Club is to provide a safe space to amplify Indigenous voices and values. The club is for sharing, exploration, deepening our understanding, finding creative ways to support Indigenous communities with the club and beyond. And it's really, it's, we just started last semester. We've been picking it up, but I know Layla could talk a little bit more about it. Yeah, so the Indigenous Student Club is completely led by Indigenous students. Um, We welcome all people. We welcome both Native and non-Native allies. And um, we just started last semester and Uh, I know this semester Nahara and I are going to be graduating, so we're definitely going to be looking for people that want to take over and leading the club. Um, And we're always looking for new members. We're, um, you know, we've adopted a stance on the Cabrillo name change. We're definitely in favor for that. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Um, And we're also trying to do some fun stuff like we're, you know, planning a field trip to the Red Market in Oakland 
and um, creating community with, uh, with Indigenous students here at Cabrillo. Can you add to that, Jesse, uh, about this club? It's so interesting. Well, I think this club is a space for everyone to come together and learn about Indigenous issues centered by Indigenous people. So it's a really great place to find comfort and community in Indigenous leadership and um, push back against the narrative that Indigenous people are no longer here or that they're sparse, when in reality we have an enormous Indigenous culture and community here um, that kind of gets lumped in with the Latinx or uh, Hispanic or Spanish or Mexican communities. Everyone uh, is Indigenous to Turtle Island and we really want to represent that our community is vast and powerful. Mm. Yeah, I really love the idea of finding representation, right, without kind of being lumped into a particular category. And, and I think that's so important, what your club is trying to do. That's what I'm hearing you, you say. But Rico, would you like to, to add any information about the Indigenous Club? Um, yeah, I mean, I was happy to be part of the, the beginning of the club. And um, it's a group of Indigenous students that are you know, coming together and trying to help bring more native perspective to Cabrillo, which is something that's super important. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's a great club. So I would recommend a lot of people check it out for sure. That's awesome. That's awesome. So can you tell me some experiences um, that indigenous learners have had on campus? Can we start there to start talking about some of the things that you've seen on campus um, and some things you'd like to share with the audience. And again, and we can start with, with anyone if they wanna jump in or. Take the lead. Uh, so my experiences as indigenous learners on here on campus is there's, there's room for improvement. Um, Slowly, we've been integrating more indigenous culture in our campus. As in the Watts, in the Watts on the center, we have, an, we have a nice, beautiful mural of an indigenous um, artist, Ier Maranda. And in the Aptos, we have an, another indigenous um, mural that's very beautiful. Um, I can't remember exactly where, but it's in the Aptos. It's on the elevator. It's on the elevator, and it really brings out indigenous culture. And to me, we're slowly... Um, bringing the culture, but it's still a lot of room for improvement from my experience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I can understand. So having a few things there, but not having some of the things, um, not having the representation that you need. I, I, I hear that definitely. What about, what about you, Leila? Is there anything you want to share about experiences on campus? Yeah, so I know in the music department, there's been a couple negative experiences in, in terms of where people are expected to perform. And um, so uh, an, some, an experience I wanna talk about is uh, in the choral department, there is a student that was asked to perform at Holy Cross Church on Mission Santa Cruz. And in the late 1800s, um, indigenous bodies were dug up and moved to a mass grave on the other side of town so that the Holy Cross Church could be rebuilt. And um, there were a few students who, that were very uncomfortable with performing there. And when, when the concerns were brought to the professor, um, the professor sort of took a, uh, a more 
conservative approach to it. Um, they simply just lack the understanding that mm -hmm. um, intergen like generational trauma is very real and it doesn't stay in the past. Um, and they were the students were threatened to either be dropped from the class or have their uh, grades lowered if they did not attend the performance. Um, and so, so uh, I don't know how to continue. So you might want to edit this part out. Um, I'm not sure how to continue with that. I don't know, Jesse. Do you want to add anything? Yeah, I'd be happy to jump in there. Um, I think this is consistent across a lot of our experiences in the classroom at Cabrillo College. Um, integrating Indigenous perspective into our classrooms and into our consciousness, um, the way we're able to care for our students and provide a safe space for them to learn without them navigating trauma while being a student while being in a pandemic, while relearning, learning skills, learning tools, and uh, how to be a good student. How is one supposed to be a good student when we are also expected to be the teachers of Indigenous history, the teachers of intergenerational trauma, generational trauma, lateral violence? All of this is a, a large expectation on me as a student when I am the only representative for the native community within my classroom and it it puts me at odds with my peers it puts me at odds with my teachers and it makes me feel once again othered and ostracized from the community of learning because i have to be the voice of the invisible that people that's right in front of them really um so i think that a huge focus of this for me is decolonizing our curriculums and having a lot of a lot more access and training for for our educators to provide this space for students. Yeah, that's that's wonderfully said. And it's not your responsibility as a student. It's not your responsibility to be in that position and to be educating um, teachers who who should be you know, taking the time to understand these different perspectives and to understand trauma, right? right? Because that's the whole point. So yeah, so that's a really powerful story that, that, adds, that adds to this understanding of these issues. Do, do you wanna add anything, Nahara or, or Nico to this? Um, about I'll just add some of the issues as well since now we're bringing up issues. Um, to me, there's a lot of issues on scholarships for us. So since we're, as Jesse has mentioned, we're not Latinxes, we're not Hispanic, we wanna be our own identity. But when you restrain us, don't give us our equal equity on scholarships, you're basically saying we don't exist mm -hmm. and we're not here and we're not being heard. And it frustrates me because, because I'm not federally recognized. I have to give you a piece of paper to tell you I'm indigenous. No, I am an indigenous woman and I deserve equal right as anybody human being in this earth. So to me, when you don't give us that acknowledgement, you basically like you did it a generational trauma again. And it did it to me. And moreover, let's talk about ethnic studies. We, uh, Professor Rushworth is not teaching this semester. So there's nobody teaching Native American history to us. Yes, there is instructors teaching it. 
um, but they're not indigenous. So it's it's a little, um, we're happy at least you're teaching it, but there's still a thin line when um, I like, like we were discussing this with Layla earlier, it's kind of like in a male teaching women studies. There's still a layer not being met with our culture. So to me, and Professor Rush, shout out to Professor Rushworth, he's always been um, a grazing instructor where he teaches our history and we've been led by him. So that's something that I want to bring to the table. Mm -hmm. That's so important. That's so important. Um, can we talk really quickly about uh, Professor Rushmore's classes on, on campus? Because I know we've brought that up a lot, but who here has, has attended or taken some of those classes? Yeah. Yeah, what are some of the things that you learn in those classes? I just want to give a shout out. <laughs> um, yeah, well, so for me, you know, I took uh, dad's pops class uh, first semester of Cabrillo for me. Um, and I was really grateful for being surrounded by people who were definitely allies and people who were either indigenous themselves or they, you know, very much supported indigenous causes and what we stood for as a people what we stand for as a people. Um, so that was really nice to, you know, like I, I formed a lot of connections. I met a lot of people in that class. Um, so right off the bat, uh, for me personally, my transition from high school where I felt incredibly invisible as an indigenous person, that transition from high school to college for me was great because right off the bat, I felt very welcome as an indigenous person at Cabrillo more than I ever did in high school. So that's my experience with Pop's class. Uh, he did a great job of making everybody feel welcome. Wow. Well, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Let's shift gears. Oh, go ahead, Jeff, go ahead. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'd love to talk about Stan's class because personally for me, um, I grew up in a mixed family, people that are from um, Italy and Portugal and people that are from the Nez Perce tribe in Idaho. And um, I was always taught at home to be a proud Native American person. And I carried that with me to school um, where my peers did not necessarily see me as an indigenous person. And um, even indigenous students that I went to school with did not see me as an indigenous person. And so I was always told by outside peers that I am a white girl and that I will always be a white girl. And anytime that I tried to like represent my native culture, I was sort of, you know, glared at and given these stares of like, who is this white girl, um, you know, like appropriating culture. And even though, um, even though I was really just trying to like, take pride in my own culture and then so it, it sort of like created a, a struggle with me and my identity um, and then when I got to Stan's class in college um, it was a really healing experience um, to be around other indigenous people and to, more importantly to be told that it was okay to be mixed blood and that it was okay for me to identify as indigenous and it was okay for me to want to reconnect with my culture and with my tribe and um and so yeah Stan's class was incredibly healing and incredibly informational too the books and literature that we read were life-changing and just beautiful um and uh so that that's that's the experience I want to share about Stan's class it was it was wonderful and healing and I met so many marvelous people and I'm pretty sure Jesse was in my class when I took it too so like 
Yeah, thank you, Stan, for providing that space. Because it was in my class when I took it too. I remember that. So yeah, <laughs> Jesse, that's where we met, Jesse. I remember that. Yeah. Cool. I would love to touch in on this. Um, I've taken all of Stan's classes, <laughs> so I think I've been in class with all of you, Nahar. I believe you had to uh, deploy when we were we were in class together. Um, but I I just wanted to say that Stan's classes changed my life. I was directionless as far as my reconnection journey. And um, that class and that community gave validation to my identity that was destroyed by internalized colonialism. I didn't understand the legacy of colonialism until I took these classes and began reading indigenous literature. And not only just the horrific stuff that we learn in history, but poetry mm -hmm. and happiness and joy and indigenous stories and fiction and all of these things that come together that create the whole indigenous experience. And on that, I just wanted to say also, Stan Rushworth cannot be the, the sole voice of validation for these thousands and thousands of students filtering through Cabrillo College. You know, um, we have a we have a lot of great allies in our faculty here, Noel Smith, uh, Martin Garcia, Liz Valuri, you know, have really shown up for us in a lot of ways. And I'm really appreciative for the community that they've been building here and the outreach they've done. But I think there's a lot of misconception, misconnections, mis misconceptions about <laughs> indigenous academia that indigenous students have access to money and scholarships and uh, healthcare. And I guess there's a misconception about freebies that come with that. And I think it's really important to note that um, only enrolled and uh, federally recognized people uh, are able to benefit from these very small benefits. It is not much and it's and it's um, passed between a lot of people and the whole point of the legacy of colonialism to deconnect de de people from their indigenous identity and reduce them down to a percentage which only we do with horses and dogs and indigenous people and it's dehumanizing and to access academia we have to reduce ourselves to a percentage of our entire being is absolutely preposterous so i just wanted to um throw that in there and i'm just so grateful for stan rushworth for rico nahara um you know layla everyone that i met in that class has really um lit my fire of connection and change and it keeps hope alive in this community in a very very difficult world to navigate no i love that jesse because you you touched on something you know as wonderful as the experience is, it cannot be the one place that a student can find this type of knowledge and find this type of connection and community to self and identity and, and heritage, right? You know, that while the experience that you got in Stan Worsworth's class is wonderful and great, you know, that one class shouldn't be it. You know, that shouldn't be just the only place to go to or the only place to find. And so I, I'm, I'm kind of seeing this need for more representation, this need, you're right, for decolonizing an entire curriculum or looking at things a little bit different and being broader. And it's a good segue into this. What types of meaningful change do you wanna see happen on campus? And anyone can jump in. 
Yeah, I definitely want to mm -hmm. see um, decolonization within the school curriculum. Um, most people going to community college are going to get their general education and within general ed classes, everything is completely Eurocentric. Um, and I know this firsthand being in the music department, there's every single thing that we study in the music department is completely, it's, it's Western European music. Um, and even, even bringing to my teacher's attention, like, hey, I'm tired of learning about dead white guys. They were like, okay, well, let's, we can learn about some black composers, but all these black composers were working within the Western European um, curriculum. So it's like, you know, it, there was no difference. I think that we, we definitely like the college has to decolonize their curriculum and be more diverse and, and um, in the, um, in the information that they're giving. Um, and then I, I also think that, you know, kind of bringing the focus back to the experiences I was talking about in the music department, um, you know, these professors are not bad people or not even really like consciously racist people. They just simply are uneducated and lack understanding. Um, and so I think it's sort of up to the college really to provide some sort of cultural sensitivity training or just provide education for these professors um, to prevent stuff like this from happening again. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, you know, it, it starts with the, the faculty. Um, it starts with the professors. Who else wants to add to this? What meaningful change do you want to see happen on campus? Yeah, this, uh, oh, sorry. Oh. Go, Rico. You know, go, you go ahead first. Let's start with deepening the most, most, most part is the name of the school. Let's start with being named after a colonist. Let's start there. I think after that, we could integrate it with, you know, having more curriculum for Native American studies, having changes for culture sensitivity. But I think it needs to start there. Um, my perspective, we really need to educate people who was Juan Cabrillo. Juan Cabrillo was an, Amer an European explorer that explored the West and has been praised ever since. Cabrillo has, he, Cabrillo, his fortune is through forced labor, sex trafficking to his men. The wealth and fame Cabrillo are the product of the crimes he committed against indigenous people. Exploring the West gave him rewards, gave him wealth and history, being called the name of our campus. It, when we have his name, we are telling, you're telling us that we are nothing. You're telling us that we are not validating. This is beyond, this is beyond, you know, European centric. Like, they just don't see it. You make it as invisible. We're not. We're here to tell you that every time you wear a cabrillo, you're in a way supporting him, whether we like to admit it or not. When we stopped wearing our cabrillo gear because we felt like, who are we really representing? Mm -hmm. But I know Jesse can speak more on that one. Mm -hmm. This name change, yes. Let's let's talk about this. Let's talk about it. Rico, do you want to go ahead? I'll I'll, I'll finish up. Yeah, uh, Layla, I wanted to thank you for making that point you made about the Western uh, music that we study in the music program because that's definitely right on. Um, but yeah, just you know about the name change. Um, it's about time to have this conversation, and I think the fact that we're finally having this conversation is great. And there is a big part of me that is also, you know, I really wonder why it took so long, like, just saying, you know, because this is something that, I mean, Cabrillo's been around for 30 years at least, you know, and we've been named after, you know, a, a conquistador who was a colonist. And there is just something really morally wrong with naming a school after someone like that without 
thinking about who he is, you know. So the fact that Cabrillo was named Cabrillo in the first place um, is a huge problem. So I'm really, really grateful that, and I know I speak for everybody here when I say that, you know, the fact that we're having this conversation now is great. And yeah, like I said, it's about time. So yeah, let's make it happen. Absolutely. Yeah, jumping in on that, um, I think uh, having, uh, you know, having the perspective to decolonize the curriculum, having these trainings, but not only having these trainings, but having these trainings from well-paid Indigenous people, that is extremely important, that these are not free trainings taught by someone without the, the lived perspective of an Indigenous person. Um, and the name change, once again, I this is something that affects me on a daily basis at the college. I have a hard time fully representing the college, which has been an amazing resource for me. I'm a late learner. I'm in my mid-30s. I have come back to, to the college to redo, um, you know, a lifetime of, of, of being adverse to academia. And I'm finding my place here, and I'm, I'm really... I'm, I'm really feeling empowered by the education and the academic route within the indigenous community, but we have to realize that we are ostracizing so many people when we name things after white supremacists and colonizers and murderous genocidal uh, rapists, to be completely honest. Um, you know, and I like to point out now, so it's about, you know, it comes down to the finances of, of changing the name. It comes back to ostracizing past students of changing the name. And what I like to focus on is we know exactly what the impact will be financially and exactly how many people it will affect that are alumni. We have no idea how many people it will affect moving forward if we choose to take a step in the right direction. We have absolutely no idea the possibility of our impact of taking a step in this direction. And we know from multiple Cabrillo monuments in California that people are already doing this. People are already demanding change. Um, people are already starting to remove the names of colonizers from their mouths. And my my encouragement here is for the trustees at Cabrillo, for the faculty, administration, everyone to realize that, um, you know, your legacy is on the line here. You're, you're in charge of how you want to lead your legacy. Do you want to be on the forefront of change, recognizing the first people of this land, the, the inhabitants and the caretakers of this land that, that we walk upon, that is stolen, that we benefit from consistently? Do we want to be the face of change or do you want to be the last generation holding on to the old way? Because I personally think one is very admirable and I think one is, is honestly, we've seen how it ends up and it's, it is not welcoming nor inviting or um, I don't think it's the way forward for the college. If we want to be a diverse and inclusive college, if we want to reach new perspectives and be groundbreaking, Cabrillo College is groundbreaking on so many levels. The access to learning here at this community college is unprecedented in all of the community colleges that I've gone to, which is a lot. <laughs> so I think it's really important to educate ourselves on the impact of names, of naming something and representation that comes with that. And really 
put ourselves in a place where we're willing to understand the negative impact that people hold with that trauma, um, what what honoring white supremacy does for us um, on a daily basis. Absolutely. And, and you know, the, the interesting thing about this issue is that when we talk about impact, impact to whom, right? You know, I mean, if it's to the trustees, if it's to the board, if it's to, you know, donors and things like that, I mean, is that really what our community college is for, right? We aren't talking about impact to the students. So I, I really love that. I really love that you brought that, that issue up. So I'm Nikia Cheney. We are um, talking with the Indigenous Club at Cabrillo College, Leila Diaz, Nahara Villalobos, Rico Rushmore, and Jesse Mallory. And we're talking about some of the issues that we find um, on campus, especially when it comes to Indigenous um, experiences and issues. We just finished talking about the name change and the importance of that name change and why that issue um, is, is it matters here, right? But I wanna, I wanna shift this a little bit into kind of learning about how can others get involved in this? How can they be a part of the Indigenous Club? Um, how can they reach out um, to the people that are here? Or what are some things, even me as a teacher, as an educator, what are some things that we can do? People can definitely start by educating themselves on the name change if they haven't already. Um, and all the information can be found on Cabrillo's website. Um, if you look up name change exploration subcommittee, you can you have access to all of the um, discussions on how uh, who Juan who Juan Rodriguez Cabrillo was, why the name change is important. Um, how the college got the name in the first place. You have access to student and community debates about it, which uh, bring up a, you know, a lot of points on why it should be changed and why people think it shouldn't be changed. Um, and then more importantly, fill out the survey, which uh, we have until February 28th, I think is the deadline to fill out the survey, but please do not fill out the survey without educating yourself first. Um, the you know, biased and uneducated opinions on the name change um, are really problematic and unproductive in the process of of, um, of going forward with this. Um, and the survey can also be found on the same exact website um, with on Cabrillo's website for the the name change name exploration subcommittee. Yeah, I wanna um I wanna mention too, you know, it's really crucial that all teachers at Cabrillo uh integrate native scholars and native material into their classrooms. This is something that uh you know Pop stresses a lot. And as an indigenous student myself, I very much agree with. And this goes, you know, outside of Cabrillo too, like any community college, any college, when we're talking about uh integrating native material into schools, uh, having the teachers do that is crucial. So that's definitely something that needs to happen in order to um, increase that awareness and increase that presence for Indigenous people. Yeah, I, I, I really, I really love the idea of, you know, we're talking about doing something by educating and being a part 
of the name change. But what about also um, incorporating indigenous scholars into curriculum and things like this? What about hires, you guys? Like hiring, <laughs> you know, hiring some more educators and hiring more diverse educators. Um, you know, I think about that a lot as well, too. Uh, Thank you, Nikia. Actually, um, that was one of my points as well, ethnic studies and higher ethnic instructors. Well, I mean, if Professor Rushworth is not teaching, then who's really teaching our culture? And I'm even thinking about um, if I go to CCMB, I thinking about becoming an instructor, you know, teaching with a minor in Native American history. So, but do you have to wait until I finish my colleges? Who's going to be in the meantime? And we really need to discuss, um, we really need to discuss, you know, hiring people of color. I mean, how are we missing the main picture, you know, when your your staff does not, your college doesn't reflect your people you're serving? So I think that's my two cents on that one. Um, yeah, I'd love to chime in there. I think uh, hiring practices are enormous, um, but I will also note that hiring the right people and putting them in a harmful environment is also very violent. So unless we address the root issues at the college, we're just inserting people into a really, really difficult environment for them and causing more trauma for Indigenous people and leaders, academics. So that's something that I'd like to note. I think Things that people in this community can do, they can align themselves with the Indigenous Club, they can come and listen, they can join our email list, um, they can follow social media accounts on Indigenous activism. There are, um, uh, I think, I would, I would encourage people to look into water, look at water, water is life, water, there are Indigenous uh, water defenders and land defenders all over the world, so many causes to align with, that if you find one place that you can support, it can make a difference. I think mutual aid on a community level is a huge way that people can contribute. Um, I think holding, holding certain institutions that have historically caused enormous harm uh, accountable for monetary reparations for indigenous healing is a major factor as well. And um, yeah, uh, again, the, the pipelines, line three, many pipelines that are crossing through indigenous and black communities that need to be recognized by the communities around them before they impact them. And um, all of these things I think are things that every single person in the community can do to align more with indigenous issues and create a better environment at, at the college. Um, but within the college, hiring practices, uh, sensitivity trainings, uh, lived experiences, um, and refusal to tolerate harassment and not allowing everyone a platform if they're causing harm in class. I think that that's a big thing as well. Uh, it, when people see both sides as equal. Um, it's giving validation to a lot of really harmful ideologies. And I see that in the classroom sometimes, and it's really on the teacher to shut that kind of stuff down. So um, having a no tolerance environment for any sort of verbal or beyond uh, abuse or violence toward indigenous people in classrooms. Yeah, I noticed that, you know, so much of social justice issues um, are decolonization issues right, um, that they go hand in hand, environmental, that, you know, environmental issues, sustainability, anti-racism, like all of this kind of aligns with itself and it goes hand in hand with what we're doing. And I like the idea of some kind of um, 
responsibility placed on teachers who are harming students in classrooms by doing those types of things, right? Um, and so the experience we talked about earlier, you know, having some recourse and developing that recourse for students um, who are experiencing things like that to, to not have to be punished or suffer a lower grade because they're not, you know, willing to participate in something that's traumatizing. I think that's important as well too. So this 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 was absolutely wonderful, but is there anything else that you want to kind of leave the listeners with or anything else you want to talk about? Well, we talk a lot about, you know, classes that um, give natives uh, a welcoming space. And I just want to give a shout out to Noel Smith and his history class. Um, you know, Noel works, Noel worked with Pops on a class and now he's working with Andrew Fagg on that class after Pops left teaching. And um, yeah, he's a great guy. You know, he's not native, but he's an ally. And, you know, I just want to stress the importance of allies in a time like this. You know, um, we, may, we may not have, we may not always have people who are actually native teaching these classes, but we do have allies. You know, Andrew Fagg, Noel Smith, both of them are allies of native, uh, native people, friends of, uh, friends of ours, of our family. And um, it's just really important, you know, that they're doing what they do and they do a great job at it. So I just want to, you know, thank them for what they do. And um, anybody listening that haven't taken Noel's class, uh, either Noel's class, History 17 or uh, History 27 with Noel and Andy, please take that class. I was uh, fortunate enough to take Noel's class. And yeah, it's a great welcoming space. And he just makes you feel welcome as an, as an indigenous person. And he really knows the stuff, knows how to make indigenous people feel welcome, knows his history. So that's an example of a class taught by an ally that's great for indigenous people. I wanna give a shout out to another ally um, who teaches women's history, Cabrillo, her name's Sherry. And um, I was with her in Stan Rushworth's Native American class. And when I took her class, she definitely included a lot of female indigenous voices and writings and literature into the teaching. Um, and it's also just, it's really um, amazing to see another professor taking classes at Cabrillo and actively trying to learn from different, learn history from different perspectives. Um, so that's another ally I wanna give a shout out to. And I just wanna echo something that Jesse said earlier about um, people should be following, actively following more indigenous activists and leaders on social media and actively trying to include different perspectives into your social feed. Um, I, I just want to echo that because I think it's a really important point that I don't want, I don't, I don't want it to get looked over because I know we've talked about a lot of different things today. So just want to say that again. Um, and I want to go back to Noel one more time. He actually has, Noel Smith has a PhD in Native American history, uh, you know, as a non-Native, um, and that takes a lot of courage. And yeah, so that's another reason that he definitely qualifies. So. Uh, moreover, I want to, again, mention even the, our viewers that are non-natives here, Ms. Gray and Dr. Salori, and the ones that actually helped us build our group. It really comes down to people listening. It's so hard for people to always put their two cents, always say what's good for us. But hey, we know what's good for us because we deal with it every day. 
Also, I want to always mention that um, there is some courses that teach um, Native American history or they incorporate Native American history, and they're not, and because some reason they're not being low enrollment, you know, it gets canceled. I know, for, um, particularly in Ms. Gray's class, you know, if you're if it teaches every other semester, I believe, or every other year, and you know, if those are cut, then how are we supposed to learn our history again? So I think to me is that, you know, really find it useful to take a class, and also there's a lot of things in anthropology that anthropology that you may not know about indigenous culture too. So I mean, take these classes, understand our culture, and we're here to share it, but just don't impose your beliefs. Just listen. And we're still here. Why does it have to take us until we have to come here to tell you we still exist? That's my last point. That's um, good. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. I, I would love to say that um, you know we're we're all in this together, and and um, decolonization is for us all. Colonization hurts us all. Um, you know, just if you're somebody that doesn't believe in indigenous sovereignty, I will still fight for you. I, I will still fight for you. You know, I fight for everybody. And um, transforming the world into a place that puts community care over individualism is a long fight, but it's for us all. And you're all welcome here. And um, it may not be appropriate for you to speak or take a front role, but you are all welcome here. And I just want everyone to know that that um, that this is this is for everyone, and um, there is no exclusion on on what we're trying to do here. It's it's really a big community thing, and and we want everybody's participation we want everybody to be here we want everybody to come together and we want what's best for everyone um and i i want, I want people to recognize that uplifting indigenous people is is good for everyone there is no scarcity there is no um fight for for a stance we can all be heard we can all be valid and um, we can make space for one another I wanted to uh, just uh, quote Red Eagle on a song uh, still here. He says, damn, it feel good to be a native. So, you know, we're we're going strong and we're in this together. Yay. Yeah. And and give a shout out to Stan Rushmore's um, new book that's coming out. Oh, that's yeah. The, the, <laughs> the middle of forever. Right. That's the name we of are we are the middle of forever, which is a line from John Trudell. Uh, who everybody should read and know about. And uh, the subtitle is Indigenous Voices from Turtle Island on the Changing Earth. It's uh, 11 Indigenous women, activists, poets, Lila June Johnston, Natalie Diaz. Uh, we interviewed her too. She just won the Pulitzer Prize for Poetry. If you don't know her work, you should absolutely check her out. She jumps off the page into your heart and into your body all at the same time. She's awesome. Uh, elders, young people, uh, two students uh, from Korea, actually three, four former Cabrillo students, Raquel Ramirez, whose grandma writes about Native urban hubs and teaches up UCSC, uh, Larian Merculiev, Unangan elder, absolutely brilliant folks. And so on, on the 9th, uh, 
Yeah, on the 9th, we're going to, uh, Kelly Horner and Karen Grappi are organizing a Cabrillo event, and we're going to have five of the people from the book speaking, okay? Uh, the club is helping sponsor that. So is MILPA, which is a great organization. Uh, Santa Cruz Indian Council as well, which has been around for a long, long time here. Uh, yeah, on the 7th, we're at Santa Clara University and on the 24th up in Washington. Uh, we've gotten two starred reviews, pre-pub reviews, starred reviews from Kirkus and book lines and so it's and we're going to be doing national presentations as well with uh, Dr. Kyle White, Natalie Diaz, uh, Lila June Johnston. If you everybody should tune in to Lila June. She's another just just you know gift to the world, right? And that's what this book is. So uh, yeah, you can all like it. It's really good. It's, it's raw and it's it's real, you know. It's not up in the sky. It's like right from the heart. Yeah. And that was our special special guest, uh, Stan Rushworth. <laughs> he's, he's, he's talking about talking about um his new book coming out. Would you like to say any closing remarks, Stan? I want to thank everybody here on this uh, panel, everybody in space I can see and not see, and uh, and you, Nikia, for putting this uh, together. And uh, all of you students, uh, when I when I'm listening to you here, I I am realizing what is the right thing, which is you are you are now my teachers. And I am so grateful for that. It's your world now, you know? I'm starting my 79th year here day after tomorrow. I only got so much steam left. So when I, when I see you, it just fills my heart. So thank you so much, so much. Thank you, Stan. And read his other books too. <laughs> Absolutely. Look them up. <laughs> absolutely absolutely and you know and, and that's what that's what we try to do here is to amplify voices who are doing the same work right the same work that we're all doing so thank you so much for listening you guys um and join us next time bye Thank you for tuning in to Amplify, a podcast series for historically unheard Cabrillo students. You can join us by emailing Raina Chalice at R-A-C-H-E-L-I-S at cabrillo.edu or me, Nikia Cheney at N-I-C-H-A-N-E-Y at cabrillo.edu or even texting 951-254-3651 or visiting our website at podcastforcabrillo.wordpress.com And amplify your own voice too.